We've had many different guests here in the Tech Emerges podcast, from researchers to executives uh, and to investors in artificial intelligence. More rare is it for us to speak with consultants who go into big companies or startups and actually implement artificial intelligences in businesses that either maybe don't have the talent to do so themselves or need additional help. Dr. Charles Martin fits in that category. He's worked with large companies from eBay to eHow uh, here in the Bay Area and beyond, as well as with smaller organizations. In this interview, Dr. Charles Martin talks to us about areas in artificial intelligence that he thinks are sort of ripe to be implemented in a business context, and also where he sees business folks sort of getting AI wrong in terms of misconceptions that folks without a background in this space might have uh, before they actually try to do the nitty-gritty hard work of applying AI into a business context. Very insightful interview for any of you who are interested in actually uh, leveraging artificial intelligence in industry in some way, shape, or form, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So Charles, uh, the first question I really wanted to run off of you here uh, is with respect to where machine learning and AI is sort of getting its foot in the door in industry. I think it, it seems from a lot of the folks who I know who offer kind of boutique artificial intelligence and machine learning services to companies, big companies might have a you know slew of e-commerce data, customer service data, and they want to go to a company and maybe make sense of that. That's sort of one aspect. Where else do you see AI and machine learning becoming more of what industry is today? Okay, let's let's start with the beginning. Uh, if we look back in the late 90s when the internet came about, you had companies like Google, Yahoo, and eBay, yep. which were offering fairly uh, something new, which are these, these very broad search engines that allowed you to find any information anywhere. And whereas I cut my teeth doing machine learning uh, at eBay, working on the relevant systems. So one of the primary uses of machine learning is just finding you know what is relevant. And it's uh, and so you know when people and what's happening now is more and more companies are offering they're seeing search as the tool they need to have as part of their online presence, whether it be a Walmart.com who's trying to sell products, so they're trying to do what Amazon does, they have product search, uh, you know, whether it's you know, some new kind of search engine, maybe for auto parts, you know, pieces, whatever whatever kind of products you're offering, uh, frequently you need to have a search box. Uh, and that's a rec and that, that requires some machine learning. And it's non-trivial because it, as you begin to show information to people, you know, information gets stale. So it's it's not just about you know finding some some insights in your data or running some traditional statistics program. There, there's something called reinforcement learning, meaning that you know as you know, the system becomes biased, you get presentation bias. So there's real machine learning going on there and trying to figure out, how do you show people the right information, uh, but not show so much that it gets stale and not so too much random stuff that it that it seems like spam? Hmm. So that that's one of the the primary applications. And, and any, anywhere where search is prevalent, search anytime you're searching information, you know, and I think it's more and more prevalent now on mobile because you know people are trying to find information, and you know basically the mobile device can show you five pieces of information. And I suppose this could be a consumer application like, you know, Googling something on your phone to, to get as sort of straightforward as we can, or maybe even something within companies, right? If you want to find a company record or something. Oh, kind of absolutely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Google's first product was the Google Search Appliance. Huh. So they, they were primarily an enterprise company. Then they said, let's go consumer. Um, 
And and you know when I was at eBay, there was a rule, you know, no Google products. You know, they really? didn't want to. Th- yeah, they don't want it because Google basically is like a monopoly. You know, you don't want to have them controlling every aspect of your business. So that you know, we really people want to. They you know they like Google. It's a great product. They like running search advertising. But at the same time, you know, you you, you can't run a business where you have one supplier or you have one other vendor which is controlling you. So there's a real interest in trying to develop some uh, external uh, resources for that. You know, you don't. I mean, I mean, there's this whole thing with uh, Google and Bing. But you know, if you look at the offerings, uh, one of the primary offerings right now, Amazon Elasticsearch. Uh, yeah, the Amazon they offer Elasticsearch as a product. There's no machine learning, so it's it's nothing more than a lookup table. It's a, it's very high performance. It's scalable, but it doesn't have the reinforcement learning feedback loops that are necessary to build the kinds of search platform experience that customers really expect. And when you say expect, that means really updated, super relevant to the time, super relevant to the frequency of search and to related searches after they search for X, pulling up Y more frequently if they search for a second thing. That Absolutely. Can, yeah. And, and you know, when, you're, when you're using a mobile device, you, know, you, you really don't have, or you're using it from your voice, like voice search, yeah. you know, like a Siri, you really don't have the ability to enter in complex queries. So you need to be able to enter in some sort of information. It needs to learn something about what you've done. It needs to learn about what other people who are similar to you have done. It needs to learn not to, you know, when to provide information to you that's personalized and when should it provide more a more variety of information so that it can collect feedback from the users. So this is a very complicated problem, and it, it's much more complicated than just, you know, it, that's where machine learning is not statistics. I mean, you really have to deal with these feedback loops and these biases that come up um, so that would be one of the, the first. Got um, it. Search. Okay, understood. Right. A second, yeah. the second is, you know, look back, Amazon. Amazon and Netflix. So you have the recommenders. Yep. So, you know, what is a regular, you know, people ask me, they come to me and say, we want you to build your, us a recommender. I go, of course, you're a business. All businesses recommend products to their customers. So every business, in the, you know, that, that's, so you say, we want to have a recommender that can tell us what our customers want to buy. Well, that, you know, that's an incredibly difficult problem. Uh, because it's so customer specific and so business yeah. specific. So we see now companies, there are, you know, there are players, people have made, you know, the, the companies of the world like uh, Dato, from the friends of mine started a company called Dato and they offer a recommender, which is a Netflix style or Amazon style recommender. Is this DATO, Charles? Yeah, DATO. Yeah, okay. Uh, and um, they were an offshoot of some guys at CMU and in Israel. But, you know, they, they, they tried to put together some of these products and, you know, they, they're basically getting the algorithms to work at scale making it production quality, getting the, you know, it has to go into production and it has to be easy to deploy, change, monitor, log, all the things you would expect of enterprise software. But it's also got to make good recommendations. Yep. Uh, when I, I was at eHow, and eHow, we, uh, people don't realize this, I have a nice talk on, on my blog, on my uh, video about eHow was built around machine learning. eHow was at one point, we were one of the top 10 websites in the world. And before Google Panda hit, if you know anything about Google and SEO, <laughs> yeah. and, well, we, you know, we basically used machine learning to figure out how to do the best, how to do, make SEO into a science. And we, at one point, so we were able to essentially reverse engineer search and figure out what exactly people are searching for. So we understood how to predict search demand. There's a very famous patent, the demand media patent. Where they talk about the in an old Wired article from about five years ago called the, the Answer Factory, where essentially we we took machine. They asked me to come in and work with them to to figure out how to predict what people are searching for. If you know what people are searching for, 
You can front run it, create content for it, and run ads. That's that's, other, that's interesting. The other part of the product uh, was a recommender system. So we would collect in, so people don't realize this, eHow was also had another machine learning component, which is a recommender. And what would happen is people would search all sorts of things in Google, and it was fairly random. You know, you'd, you'd enter in different searches in Google, and you get completely different results. It's almost like a, a classic chaotic system. So we would basically collect, you know, how many how many different ways do people search for? What do you think the number one search is on Google for you know consumer? Uh, you know, non-adult, simple, you know, housewives in in Ohio. <laughs> huh, that's a good question. Uh, how to get rid of flabby arms? Oh man, you got to be kidding me! So imagine we had I think, you know, 125 versions of how to get rid of flabby arms, and every time you'd enter this different version into Google, it would give you a different result. We all the results would pour into eHow, and then we had a recommender which could figure out what people really wanted to know. Huh? Okay, okay. So recommending other how-to videos and instructionals and whatever. Right, or you know, or the correct one. There's usually like one dominant thing people are looking for, but they enter into it into Google in different ways. And, and so getting search relevance correct is really hard because people will talk about they, – they ask questions in different ways, but they really want the same thing. Got it, got it. So you, you have to determine what is the real intent here and then how yes. can we recommend – so how do we predict what will be searched and then recommend the genuine intent behind that category of search? And by doing that, I suppose you'd prevent people from pogo sticking to other websites and you'd gain your relevance and keep your users Absolutely. around. And, we, were, okay. we were the first billion-dollar IPOs in Google. So they, that all, you know, Google changed everything. They implemented Google Panda. They stopped providing the inbound search queries. They started making updates. They I even make an argument that they changed CEOs. You know, Larry Page came in and took over because, you know, Schmidt was running the operation and Google had pretty much become stagnant. You know, they just, you know, they were now, um, now search, you know, Google really wants to make sure that people don't understand how search works. So there are people, you know, there's, there's machine learning and trying to get traffic, you know, to your website to get business. And there's machine learning and trying to build products on your own site. You know, we had search, we had recommendations. These are critical. So these are critical pieces to, you know, you're talking about finding customers, generating revenue, maintaining traffic, all of things which require some sophistication. Yeah. Um, another piece of the puzzle, and another one that we're seeing now is Facebook. With the rise of image recognition in Facebook, you know, people use Facebook. Oh yeah, and they recognize. Hey, this thing recognizes me, and it recognizes my friends. So now we're seeing cost customers come to us and say, "We want to build image recognition systems." And we, we, why doesn't it work? You know, they go, "Why? Well, you know, they go like a hundred guys at Facebook work on this. This is a hard problem." You know, build. But we're trying to build now. We're seeing a lot of people come and saying, "You know, we know we can do it because we see it on Facebook." So we want to build an image recognition system. We want to recognize all sorts of things. Uh, we had a customer come to us who suggested we want to make a dating site. We want you to be able to recognize the ethnicity of someone in a per in a picture. We think if we can recognize the ethnicity of their friends, we can make a better dating recommender. So all of a sudden, image recognition and image classification and image processing is being intermingled with recommender systems. Uh, and, and now, Charles, you, you're someone who's out here building applications, and and so and in in this sense, you've got a feel for. The demand, the types of applications. You've worked in a lot of companies. You've built things for smaller businesses as well um, and bigger folks. Do you see the big guys driving the trends that the other players are interested in implementing, such as, you know, okay, Google's got search. By golly, it's so great. We should have a search 
that's as intuitive and fantastic as that. Man, Amazon's got this recommender. By golly, it's so great. We should do something, you know, Facebook, etc. Absolutely. And in okay. fact, I would even say that the consumer experience has become so good that businesses are now trying to replicate either internally or for their customers the really great consumer experiences that we have on Google, on eBay, on Netflix, on Amazon, on Facebook. It is really the individual product managers, the VPs, the executives. It, these are not decisions being made by people sitting in boardrooms and you know trying to analyze white papers from Harvard or McKinsey. These are decisions made because people are seeing this occur on their everyday in their everyday activities. Yeah. Whether using Siri on their phone, whether they're using Facebook, mm. or local yeah. search, and they're just recognizing, like, why can't we do this as a company? Man, be able to do this. That's fascinating. Well, I guess you know, boy, I just I was interviewing earlier today a company who's applying um, some degree of machine learning in the virtual reality space and, and sort of uh, regulating image quality and, and trying to fight warp uh, in different temperatures and things like that. And and, um, and they had talked about how ultimately, you know, when you're talking to investors or even people about your company, if you don't have a demo, then nobody is really going to get it. And that's the best way for people to understand. It sounds to me like because the world, meaning everybody who uses Facebook and Google, which, you know, functionally for the most part, you know, we could say at least here in the, you know, is the world, uh, you yeah. know, the, the world has access to demos of really, 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 really good technology. And so that's potentially what's spurning and kicking off these ideas, if I'm hearing you correctly. Oh, uh, absolutely. Okay. You know, we, did, we just finished building a large demo for GoDaddy uh, for, internal, for an internal product that they want to use internally and they, want to, and they may want to pull out externally. And the, and the primary issue is, you know, we want to get a demo working, yep. which is a machine-oriented product. And, and that's essentially what we're very good at because we've worked in startups you know, for so many times. We can knock out demos in three months yep. that are really functional and do something. And usually six weeks to get something. You know, usually the expectation is, you know, if you've got things set up, you've got the data. You know, if you've got data and you have some ideas, we can knock something out in six weeks. In three months, we can get it in front of upper management and kind of get people using it. And then, you know, it usually takes three to six months to productionalize. And that's the kind of turnaround times you're looking at for, you know, for a startup, you know, a large place like eBay might take two years to get into production just because of the scale. Yep. But what the, the big thing that's also changed now is, so one is that people in their, in their day-to-day activities are seeing these products come up more and more and more. Um, the other thing is that the technology, I, I, I would say, you know, there are certainly theoretical advances, you know, things going on in deep learning Facebook releasing Torch, Google releasing TensorFlow, and you know we're beginning now to try to, like for example, I have a project we're trying to integrate TensorFlow into the pipeline to see whether it can use it or not. Um, they, 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 these are these deep learning plat, open source deep learning yeah. platforms. Yeah, yeah. But there's also been just stuff that what we I had to do ten years ago by using academic codes and open source and just knowing where I I was sort of I knew where everything was and I could assemble products, kind of hacking them together. And if you wanted to do real machine learning, you had to either develop the product, like eBay had a R&D team internally that was developing their own support vector machines so they could run them. Now, not only do you have you know, companies offering these products, you have a huge number of open source, fairly stable open source technologies. You know, uh, Python, 
libraries like Scikit-Learn, you have Spark coming out with MLlib trying. So there's a, there's a, there's now we're seeing the development of open source machine learning tools, even simple tools, but they're becoming more and more accessible into the enterprise so that you can build products. Now, I, I wouldn't say that they work end to end. Yeah. It's much more sort of where software was in 1995. You know, you're the primary, the hard mathematical pieces are being built. The engineer, the mathematical engineers, you know, the old computational physicists have, have uh, and machine learning experts have built now libraries that can solve these numerical problems. Now, what we have to do is we have to assemble them into complex products. So it used to be you had to write your own software from scratch. And I have a PhD, and we'd write like everything in my, you know, you'd write like some high-performance library. Hammer it out, yep. Right. Then we, we have libraries that were produced by academic research universities, but we were researching them to see if they were useful. Then that was sort of like eBay about 10 years ago. Then about five years ago, and I was at Aardvark, we could, you know, about five, you know, seven years ago, let's try to build a product, but we're going to use some goofy language like Ruby, and Ruby on Rails, and we're going to try to integrate machine learning in, and we have to all be custom code. So we have to do C++ coding, and we have to get the... Now I can walk into a client and say, I have an IPython notebook or a notebook running on uh, Spark. We're going to build you a prototype. Give us your data. Put it in here. Within six weeks, we'll have a working prototype that shows you a, vi you know, a, vi a proof of concept viability study. Within three months, we have a working prototype that you can, you know, that works end to end on your cloud architecture that, you know, has a, a front end. You can enter in results. It returns recommendations. It returns search. And it's something you can actually demo to, uh, to the non-geeky part of the world. Yep. And so I think that the turnaround time on these products is, is just really, really fast now. So you can really build them. Yeah. And it's a lot, a lot, a lot of more you know swift swift iteration i suppose given the fact that there's platforms to stand on and, and as you had mentioned all these open source tools everybody's opening up i um in terms of in terms of who the providers are so, so we've got uh, a whole number of trends that you're speaking to right now among invariably you know dozens of of others um that that are becoming more and more potentially staples of industry and uh, facets of what what a, a modern industry will do and how we'll will implement artificial intelligence and, and machine learning. Um, it, it, who's you know in terms of in terms of who's building this stuff out? I imagine some folks you know eBay for example you had just mentioned they've got uh, I you know probably in the early days they built it all from from scratch or from the ground up and they had their own team and that's what they did. I imagine these days folks might be bringing in IBM. For either the software or maybe the build out, uh, there's got to be a whole lot of other boutique players out there like yourself who can go into big companies or startups and and construct great stuff for them. Maybe on top of these software platforms, who are the providers that are allowing machine learning to infiltrate industry, or is it mostly the internal R and D teams, the the human resources that are that are cranking it up from, from sort of the bottoms up. Who, who are the real providers from the outside more so? Yeah, I, I would say it's mostly, you know, we're seeing a lot 
lot of internal development. You know, there's a lot of hiring going on, trying to hire people. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we come in as consultants, you know, and, and we, uh, you know, we, we, what we provide is the ability to have expertise in-house immediately. So we're, we're expensive, but we're low risk. Yep. 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 Uh, such, as, definitely... such as consultants in general, I guess. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we have other people, you know, we come in, they're trying to hire all sorts of people everywhere to build it internally. The, the pro- there are companies that offer solutions. However, you know, what I would say the let's look at what we're trying to do. So there, there may in the industry there are companies. A good one is a Yasti, uh, and I, I know the uh, the co-founder of Yasti started by Gunnar Carlson, who is a very famous mathematician at Stanford, and one of his graduate students or postdocs put together uh, a company called a Yasti, which is a startup, and they they do high touch consulting. So they have about probably three hundred guys you know who are working for them. Uh, guys and gals, and and they go into large companies like the oil industry or maybe pharmaceuticals, and they use their technology to look for patterns and discoveries. So you know they're they're a high touch consulting firm. They're sort of the Accenture of machine learning. Got it. Okay, that's a nice analogy. Um, and, and I think it's important to point out because there are certainly companies like Accenture and McKinsey, but I mean these guys are mostly finance guys. So. They, you know, they may come in and say, well, we're going to, you know, we're, we're going to come in and rebuild all the software, but they, they don't have the internal teams. Uh, you know, you don't have guys like, you know, you don't have, you don't have the head of the math department at Stanford, you know, working at Accenture, you know, I mean, it's, these are smart, these are smart guys, you know, and they really are, uh, you know, rocket scientists for real doing this stuff. And there are a number of startups in this space, which are trying to offer these sort of consulting services. Um, Dado is another one. So they have a, a more traditional product line. Uh, I would even say Hortonworks, uh, which is a Hadoop, cons- uh, Hadoop company. You know, they, they have a consulting arm. And, you know, when they do a Hadoop deployment or, you know, maybe a Databricks is going to do a Spark deployment. Well, there's no point in putting Hadoop or Spark into your system unless you have a product that sits on top of it. Yep. So, you know, but they're looking probably... You know, with, with the deployment of, I mean, that most of the data now is moving into Spark from Hadoop or into Spark, HDFS. So these big data platforms are probably, you know, three years out before they can really start doing machine learning. So I, I think what's happening now is you have a lot of small consultancies. And then you have sort of the larger IBM, which is trying to, is trying to push IBM Watson. Yeah. And that product from what I give, IBM just came out with an 18, you know, 18% loss. Big loss this quarter, so it's not going well for them. From you know, from you know, we read the analysts. You know, I'm not internal. I don't know how well it's doing or not. What do but, you think? What do you think about the application itself? I mean, being a guy who might have hopped in Watson once or twice. We well, we had a client who brought us in and to build some to try to uh, build some products for them in the shopping space. You know, they were involved in retail and, and tracking, and we were trying to build prototypes, and they found it was very very hard. Uh, and then they wanted to explore using Watson because, you know, they, like a lot of these companies do not, especially, you know, the companies outside of the Valley, maybe outside of Boston, uh, and they don't really have the kind of engineering talent. I mean, they're not, enge- they're not Lockheed, you know, they're not, they're not aerospace engineers building complex elect or, you know, building these components. They're certainly not at the level of, you know, what we used to have in Detroit, which were, you know, auto engineers. I mean, these are basically... Uh, they, you know, they have some IT staff, but, you know, they're trying to build out some sophisticated product. So people are very interested in it to see what it can do. Uh, it's a very interesting product. It, it's a more of a traditional knowledge system. Yeah. And, and, and the Watson type products have been around for a long time. There were things like OpenSIC and the more traditional case based reasoning systems that came out of MIT. 
Um, and, and they're still pushing things like ConceptNet. You know, the, this is more of the traditional. Um, is, there, is, there still, is there still a market for that? Or do you see that as stagnant and dying? Or do you see that as just growing, but just not as sexy as machine learning? I, I think it's just, I think it's just, it's one of the general forms of AI, of artificial intelligence. I think it's a, it's a form of search. Watson is a form of search because you're going to give it a bunch of documents and it's going to tell you what's in the documents. And so it allows you to do natural language search. Yep. You can ask, so one of the holy grails is to let someone just ask a question and it tries to answer the question. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, I worked years ago at a company called Aardvark, and we built this product. But the idea is that you would answer a question, it would go out on the internet and try to find someone who could answer it. Yep. Now that's become Quora. Yep. Uh, yeah. And, and of course, eHow was the same thing. It's just the questions were, you know, like how to boil an egg and you know, how to clip your toenails and things like that. How but, to clip uh, your toenails. Man, some, some fascinating stuff. Wait, I'm I'm being a little facetious. No, of course, of course. They're not they're not technical questions. No, no, they're they're for the moms. They're for moms out in Iowa. But uh, I I think it's a you know I think there's a huge interest, but there's also got to be going to be some radical shifts. I mean, look, you can't have companies that. One of the I, I helped teach a class at Berkeley and Stanford, and one of the, the points I make to the it's actually an MBA class. I never thought in a million years I'd be teaching class in the MBA school, you know, with the PhD in theoretical chemistry. You know, we all assumed we'd be you know working out at Los Alamos working on nukes or something, and uh, and so it turns out that you know what, what we try to tell the MBA that look, if you're going to have the, the world is changing, companies are becoming more the, the intelligence inside a company is becoming more and more important. And you have to have leadership. You, know, you, you can't have you, know, you have to have people in the organization who really understand this technology. And I think the challenge is that you've had ten years or fifteen years of internet technologies where you have people like the Macy's of the world who have built online stores. And you know it's great to have an online store, and most of the online store has been the old school uh, CRUD applications. You know, uh, create, update, delete, uh, and you know, database web Ruby on Rails type applications. And now we're seeing, well, really Macy's needs to have search. They need to have recommendations. They need to have image search. So these are products that, you know, they can't build these products internally. They're going to have to license them from someone. Hmm. And so they're going to have to have, and you know, Macy's probably made a billion dollars on online. If you have a good recommender and the recommender can increase revenue by 30%, that's $300 million in revenue per year. So getting that right is important. And I think a lot of these large companies, look at Walmart, they do that through acquisitions. Yeah, they should buy know, folks. They, yeah, they acquired, was it Search Me or one of these, you know, these startups that, you know, they have these startups that basically the VCs create to be acquired. Um, but that that's where a lot of it comes from. You know, large, big companies will acquire teams and acquire companies that have the experience. They'll acquire a machine learning team, which maybe has some IP, but really, it's a, uh, it can even be just a talent acquisition. And now they've got them internally, and, and you can now start building these things. So just just to uh, um, just because I'm wary of time, but I'm having a real blast getting your perspective from all the various – I know you, you know your experience with Aardvark and the rest of those folks. Um, do you see – you know obviously, uh, these machine learning applications in many instances are more bespoke than your CRM or maybe your um, – uh, you know, your front-end e-commerce software that, that will more or less be rolled out in one company, maybe with some variation as it would be rolled out with, with other companies. These machine learning applications are, are more de- 
detailed and have to do with sifting through individual buckets of data and really making sense of them. And it, it feels so much more boutique today. You mentioned your, your, um, uh, your folks who are doing the, um, or the company that's doing kind of the, the Accenture for machine learning. It's very high touch still. Do you see yes. this world being, um, do you see it? Do you see this kind of remaining, you know, your, your IBMs for your, for your maybe bigger or stodgier or whatever you want to say, folks, I don't know enough about IBM to judge at all, but I'm just, you know, it seems to be what you're saying. Um, and, and then a whole slew of guys like yourself or folks with a 300 person team and it'll sort of stay small clusters or, or, or do you foresee more, uh, or, or, or maybe, maybe t applications with less that, that require maybe slightly less technical knowledge, or will it always be so bespoke that it'll never be like the CRM, just do a vendor comparison, call it a day. Um, are we moving any closer to that or what might the, the field at large look like, you know, five, 10 years from now? I, I think the first thing that has to happen is there has to be some platform stability. You know, people have to figure out what are going to be the platforms that you use. You know, Salesforce is the primary platform that people use to manage, you know, internal accounting and, and you know, there are the CRM platforms. You know, we're trying now, data science is trying to move to this. And so you're trying to move to Hadoop, but then they found out Hadoop really isn't that great. And they're trying to move to Spark. And Spark is very green. And there have always been products like Oracle that offered machine learning internally. But, you know, nobody really knew how to use it because, you know, it was buried inside the database and the database admins and database SQL guys don't know anything about machine learning. So they couldn't really take advantage of it. So I, I think the first thing that has to happen is the industry has to start stabilizing on what are going to be the stacks that we use. You know, is it going to be Spark? Is it going to be Python? Is it going to be something else? And I don't uh, think that's happened yet. Industry. You know, we, okay. Yeah, we have problems right now. Uh, in just doing basic deployments. You know, we build you a machine learning product. Well, we'd like to deploy it. Well, what if you update it? What if you change it? What if you want to roll it back? What if you want to do logging? I mean, all of these basic things that have existed in traditional the software stack now for the past 10 to 15 years do not really exist yet in the machine learning platforms. And it has to be, uh, you know, th this, in fact, I'm, I'm having a, a meeting, we have to, there's a group called Open Group, which is you know one of these standards organizations. They're trying to figure out you know what are the new standards going to be. You know how yeah. do you, is, you know how, even like logging, you know or or deployment. These things are these things take. Um, this is what it This is what you know engineers do. And and the problem is that, be, the machine learning is fundamentally different in how you build systems because you're not building from an architecture. You're not saying, I want a recommender, I want a search platform. You really are saying, I want to make, I, I need to run some experiments. I want to see how those experiments work in my production environment. I want to design a product that can collect data, and then I want to learn from that experience. And, and so it's not the same as saying, I'm just going to build a database, and I'm going to put the data in, I'm going to draw it all up. And you just can't say, I'm going to build a recommender, and it recommends things. I mean, there's no... That that takes that that's not a product, you know. That's just you know, you know, that's a that's a sketch on a napkin over lunch. So, and so it's it's fundamentally different. And I think that there, but and the, and the technology, you know, for someone like me to come in and be able to do work, the difference between it taking me three years, six months, or three weeks, or even an hour to do something is really the infrastructure support I have on the tooling. And as the tooling gets better and better. 
Um, you know, it, it's not clear yet. Now, it, what it will be now in terms of uh, what it will look like from a business side of consultancy. Well, you know, Oracle lives inside companies and people buy Oracle and they run Oracle, but you still have to have a secondary market of consultants who know how to program Oracle. Yeah. And, and I think the hope is that eventually something like maybe R and revolution analytics or spark or something will start becoming the standard and there'll be deployment systems. And then we will basically consultants will come in and say, this is how you, this is the technology you have. And this is how we build machine learning on top of this platform. Right now, it's also green. I mean, things like Spark and Adobe and R are just so, it's so greenfield that you can't even do it that way. You still have to do custom. But the hope is that within three or four years, this will, this, you know, enough of these products will start coming in that somebody will have uh, preeminence. Right. And, And I think it's a, the other thing is that there's new technologies coming out all the time. You know, I mean, Google, Facebook, now, Elon Musk, I mean, remember Elon Musk, you know, soon we're going to have self-driving cars. Yeah. You know, those are all AI. So now the tech, you know, they've all invested, they've made $100 million, billion dollars, I mean, literally. I mean, they bought oh, yeah. DeepMind for $500 million. Musk has made a billion, you know, there's a billion dollar open AI. So we're going to see big changes coming. Yep. You know, new technologies and restructuring of industries. There's going to be a lot of disruption in ways which are, you know, it's disruptive. You don't know what it's going to be. Yep. Um, huh, so it, it sounds it sounds to me as though the quote unquote ecosystem, and I hate to uh, overplay that term. I feel like it's just such a boring, tired term. But in this case, uh, in quite a literal sense, the ecosystem of what technologies are built on what, and what are the standards that we all understand and move forward in a progressive way from those sort of tectonic plates have not stopped shifting enough for any other big players to really rise from the bottom to be something yeah, not, more yeah, than a boutique firm. Not even close. Yeah. I mean, not even close. And you, you look at, I mean, Caldera and Hortonworks tried to push uh, Hadoop and people were just realizing like, this is anyone who's trying to do real work. is like, we can't use this. Hmm. You know, Spark is the new thing. It's so green. I, I have, you know, uh, one of the guys I work with was a very famous entrepreneur from the late mid nineties. He's a genius programmer. And he's like the Spark stuff. is He's doing it. But he's like, wow, you know, this is hard. Uh, it's just not there yet. And then you have Google releasing products like TensorFlow, yeah. which is a new deep learning platform, and that doesn't integrate into the that, that that's all Python. So and and so it's, no, it's nowhere near. Um, and and it's always like uh, you know I don't you you probably don't remember things like EJBs, which were the enterprise Java beans. Hmm. And it used to be that people IBM came in and they designed this thing called enterprise Java beans to set up web servers. Nobody uses enterprise Java beans today. You'd be, you know, you have to be high to use that. But it was it was a it was a consultant's dream because it, you know you can have like a hundred guys working on the project. Each one has a little piece. Okay, so we got to So we so essentially there needs to be leg, some kind of legitimate stability as to what we're, what we as sort of the industry, I suppose, are building on and building towards. In a sense, where progress can be made beyond just complex software that consultants could go in and charge a bunch for and then leave, that really maybe aren't building on a lasting semblance of value. And from what you're saying, maybe in three or four years, it'll condense a little bit more and we'll be able to see some growth in an upward direction. But right now, it's pretty scattered, pretty boutique, and it's potentially going to hang there for at least a couple more years. Oh, I, I think so. I mean, I think so. And I think there's going to be a lot of new developments. I mean, we, we, we certainly have some tools that we use 
Uh, you know, I love using the Python notebooks are very good, but they're not easy to deploy. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, you know, there are certain, you know, you people are using R, people are using Spark. There definitely, there are, there are systems coming in that everybody's using, but they're not, they're not. And I, you know, I like, for example, I don't think Python's going away. I think five years from now, it'll still be here. It'll be, it'll be the do, a dominant platform, yep. but getting it to work in a production quality environment at the, at the level of an eBay, you know, their requirements, you know, I mean, eBay has their economies larger than some small, you know, there's certain countries. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to get it to work at that scale and to work correctly, um, you know, the, the code, the, the language itself is not ready for that. Um, I mean, even you look at the language that these programs are written in, you know, uh, Python, Python three is not back compatible with Python two seven. Yeah. Interesting. Well, All right, you well, know, so, so, I mean, <laughs> you know, well, well, who's designing this stuff? So, I mean, it's, you know, a lot of companies want Java because Java is an approved language. So, you know, what are you going to do when you have, uh, you know, so it, it's really very, um, it's really very, you know, there's no dominant player that yep. has emerged yet. And there really is, though, I think what people recognize is that they need to have both the technology in-house because they need to start making money. Yep. You got to make money. You got to get your cut. And you need to have the knowledge in-house. So you don't fall behind. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I mean, no, and, 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 you know, you, that knowledge, getting that knowledge base, you know, the, you know, these, these, I mean, half these guys are PhDs in, you know, machine learning or theoretical chemistry and physics. I mean, this is not, it's wild your stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's not your average Ruby on rails engineer you're bringing in to do this stuff. And so they have different expectations, different culture, different, Different salary, you know, if you if you spend four years in graduate school, you got a different salary expectation. Yeah. Than someone, and so it it than someone who, uh, you know, it, it's just different. And so there are a lot of, you know, it's not just it, it's not just wow, we've got this new library we're going to install and it's going to do all these magical things. Yeah. Well, I guess it sounds like at least in the near term, it's going to stay sort of a, a bit as it is, and that a, a lot of the fight as as has been for probably the last four years and. And or last four or five years, and, and and as a lot of the projections seem to say, will remain, will be fighting over the the relatively limited number of folks who will be specialized enough in these domains of data science and machine learning to fill the myriad desires of myriad companies who are going to want that skill. So it seems like that dynamic will continue. Charles, I, I am wary of our time. I'm I always look for at least one or two really good quotes from each interview and. Man, we got a good one here. EJB's knowing programs with that stuff. Man, you'd have to be high to use that. That's just that's just great. I love that. Um, so I uh, I sincerely appreciate you being able to give us the lay of the land from a real up close and personal perspective, Charles. Thank you for sharing your insights here on the Tech Emergence Podcast. Hey Dan, thanks again. I, I'm glad. Uh, I'm really happy to do this. A lot of fun. wraps up today's episode here on the Tech Emergence Podcast, and thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to stay in touch with our latest interviews with C-level executives, top researchers, and thinkers in the domains of AI and the intersection of technology and intelligence, then make sure to subscribe here on iTunes or visit us on our main website at techemergence.com, where you can see all of our interviews broken down by category, as well as articles, news, market research, and trends in artificial intelligence. If you found this episode particularly thought-provoking, feel free to leave your thoughts in a review here on iTunes, or you can feel free to reach out to us at our main website. Thanks as always for tuning in, and I'll catch you next week.